Good afternoon. Welcome everyone to YSI's webinar and thanks for joining us today. I'm Shannon Miller. I'll be moderating and presenting today is Justin King, Xylem Product Manager for Process Instrumentation. Today, he'll be talking about preventative maintenance programs for online sensors and how to streamline maintenance practices. This is part four of our best practices webinar series and parts one, two, and three, which cover sensor and analyzer maintenance are available on YSI.com. Um, and if you're looking to earn more CEUs, visit our on-demand hub and watch our extensive library of drinking water and wastewater webinars presented by Xylem experts. And I will drop a link to that in the chat. Um, and with that, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Justin to kick things off and get started. All right, hopefully everyone can hear me. And I'd like to thank you, Shannon, for the kind introductions and moderating today. I know you've got a super busy schedule, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to go ahead and help out with this webinar. And then also I'd like to thank everyone in attendance today. We really appreciate you guys attending our webinars, whether it's for CEUs or just to, to gain some general knowledge on online analytical instrumentation. We know that you guys are some of the busiest people out there and we really appreciate um, you guys either watching it live today or um, tuning in after the fact and watching the recording. So with that being said, like Shannon already mentioned, um, feel free to ask questions with the Q&A um, function whenever you have them. Um, I usually try to leave 10 minutes at the end of every webinar to pick out some of the questions and answer them live. Um, hopefully we'll have time to do that today, but I do have a lot of topics to cover as we wrap up this four-part series on the best practices for maintenance protocols when it comes to online analytical instrumentation. So if we can answer a few questions at the end, that'll be great, but don't worry. If we can't get to your question live or we don't have time for questions at all, um, I usually go after the fact, read everyone's question and then answer them via email. And then if your question, um, if it needs any further discussion, um, I'm always an open door when it comes to um, having online consultations and meetings. So we can do that as well if it's more of an in-depth question. Um, so like Shannon said, I am the product manager for all this instrumentation that you see here on the table. Um, it's online analytical instrumentation. And that's what we've been talking about in this four-part series. And what online analytical instrumentation is primarily used for is monitoring, controlling, and reporting out on the wastewater and drinking water processes. So I've been working with this instrumentation ever since I've started here at Xylem, that was um, almost four years ago. And I found that the key uh, to get quality data out of these sensors, probes and analyzers, um, the key to get quality, accurate, reliable data is making sure that we have a sound maintenance protocol for these. The cleaner and these sensors are, the more calibrated they are, the better data they're going to provide for you guys, for, whether that's for process control or reporting, or just general monitoring of your influent and effluent. So that is kind of what sparked this whole webinar series. And before we get into what we're going to talk about today, I'll do a quick recap of what we've talked about um, in the first three of this four-part series. So in the uh, in the first part uh, or the first webinar, we talked about probably some of our most common sensors, which is optical DO sensors, um, potentiometric pH and ORP sensors, as well as ion-selective electrode sensors for measuring nitrate, ammonium, chloride, and potassium. Um, and we talked about the best maintenance practices around those types of measuring principles when it comes to online analytical instrumentation. And then we went straight into the second um, part of our series. And we talked about optical TSS and turbidity probes, as well as spectral or UV vis probes, um, which measure, um, they measure nitrate, nitrite, TSS, UVT-254, and a host of carbon parameters, including uh, BOD, TOC, DOC, and COD. Um, and then we, we wrap that second webinar up by talking about the best maintenance practices for an ultrasonic sludge level sensor. And then in the most recent installation of this series, 
John Welsh, uh, another product manager on our team, and I um, tag teamed a webinar based around the best practices when it comes to online analyzers. And we talked about three different analyzers, um, all using the colorimetric method, one being the DPD chlorine analyzer, what it takes to keep that in good operating condition, as well as an orthophosphate and an ammonium analyzer. So if any of those sensors in particular or multiple um, sensors and analyzers um, interest you and you want to know a little bit more about the sensor specifics um, for best practices and maintenance protocols, um, I would encourage you to click on the link that Shannon dropped in the chat at the beginning. Uh, that'll take you right to our on-demand webinar hub where we keep all of our recordings or if you're just interested in getting more CEUs, you can watch any of those videos on that hub. And if you fill out, I believe, a short quiz after each webinar, um, you'll get um, CEU accreditation. So that's really a really nice site that we have. And that's where we store a lot of our informational content that's coming out these days. All right, so now that we've kind of recapped um, the first three webinars, Let's talk, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. And today to wrap up this whole series, I want to talk more of more on a system level. So not just sensor specifics, but best practices when it comes to um, setting up in whether it's um, our system or another manufacturer system, but the best practices around maintenance for a whole system and developing a maintenance protocol. Um, some of the best practices around standard operating procedures. And then once you develop a good maintenance protocol, how do you track it and what tools are available? Um, so I know that um, maintenance, maintenance crews, operators, and lab technicians are some of the busiest people out there today, um, especially in our industry. And maintaining this sort of instrumentation is probably not the top of your guys' priority list. So um, we, uh, we've developed as manufacturers some different tools to help streamline the maintenance part of these probes, as well as just speaking from a Xylem or YSI perspective, we develop each probe to be as maintenance light as possible while maintaining a high accuracy. So the sensors themselves were developed to be maintenance light, but as with anything, as with your cars, as with your homes, um, as with these instruments, there's going to be some sort of maintenance involved, right? So um, if you stick around till the end, we'll talk about some of the digital solutions that are coming out from different manufacturers on how to, how to digitally track and streamline um, all these different maintenance activities around probes and analyzers like this. All right, so to break it down, um, what we're going to talk about first is we're going to go into how to avoid unnecessary maintenance or how to mitigate any unforeseen maintenance. That's what we'll talk about first. Then I want to talk about how do you develop a proactive maintenance protocol rather than having a reactive uh, maintenance protocol, basically waiting until something breaks and there's downtime or waiting till the measurements are, are so off base, then we start doing something. So how do we develop something that's a little more proactive than reactive. And then finally, we'll talk about how to track that maintenance protocol once it's been set up. So to mitigate any unforeseen or avoid unnecessary maintenance, the key is to have a good startup. Um, so starting up this instrumentation can be uh, quite the process, depending on how big the system is, right? So there are some best practices and some tips that I want to share with you on how to have a great startup. And if we can get this, this whole network of sensors and analyzers set up right the first time, it's going to mitigate a lot of maintenance and issues that you might see in the future um, from a system like this. So to start out, um, it really starts before you even get to the plant, before you even order um, order your sensors and have them delivered. Um, there's prep work that starts before that. And the first thing that you want to prep before you even get on site um, to start up a system is um, looking or verifying the installation base. So usually when there's a new project, there's going to be an installation and um, 
it'll lay it'll lay out what sensors are going to be measuring where for what control processes or what reporting processes. And you just want to verify what sensors are going where and how far the measuring locations are are apart from each other. And if you know what sensors you're going to be deploying and where they're going to be deployed, you're going to know a couple of things. You're going to know how much power you need to input into the system. And then you're also going to know what kind of tools you need to bring and what other kind of documentation aids and other things that are going to be necessary for the actual startup. Um, so that's important is just knowing what's going where at first um, to lay the foundation or basis um, for starting up instrumentation. Next, it's tools, tools, tools. If you come with the right tools, um, the chances of your installation success is going to be extremely high. So first of all, I'll show you what I usually bring to a site, whether I'm doing maintenance on an existing system or if I'm starting up a system from the beginning. Um, here's some of the things that I usually bring with me. First, I like to always bring, and you guys probably already have this stuff at the plant and you're using it every day, but just PPE, it's always good to remember that. So safety glasses and gloves and um, boots and high-vis gear, anything that might be required at your plant, that's really important to have is proper PPE when you're setting up this instrumentation. And then what I like to have is a precision screwdriver. So it's just got a flat head on one side and then we've got a Phillips head on the other side. And for a lot of these different manufacturers, one screwdriver can get you into a lot. Um, you can probably do 80% of the install with just the screwdriver, actually. We try to make it as tool light as possible. And so this will get you into all of our um, controllers or modules. It'll allow you to connect any sensor cabling or network cabling from module to module. So it's a this is a really important tool to have. These are ones we pass out at trade shows or I leave them everywhere when I go out in the field. Um, but if you don't have that, just any old precision screwdriver set you could pick up at Lowe's or Harbor Freight, something like that um, will go a long way. The next thing that I like to carry with me and I don't have it just because it's a little bulkier and it wouldn't fit on the table with everything else is a socket set. So a lot of our mounting solutions um, whether you're the one doing the setting up the mounting hardware and the mounting solutions, or it's already been set up, I always like to carry a socket set with me to help tighten that stuff down to the railing. Or um, if I'm installing it, it'll definitely be needed. So socket set is another good thing that um, you'll want to carry around with you. And then one of the most important things for our system in general is a USB stick. So USB sticks are used for a host of different things for the IQ sensor net system at least. And they may be used by other manufacturers as well. And, but for our system, downloading the configuration data is key. Um, and what I mean by that is once you've set up your system physically and then you go to program everything and name all the sensors and what basins they're in, um, all that data can take time to input into the system. And if there were to be a power failure um, or you'd have a catastrophic failure of a controller or anything that could happen um, that would wipe out all that data. Having the configuration file downloaded on a, on a USB stick um, will allow you to just, when you get new equipment to just plug it into the controller here and upload all that data back in, it'll save you tons of time and effort. And all those settings that you set for the sensors will be saved on here. Also, we use USB sticks for firmware updates. So whenever we're doing firmware or software updates on our sensors, modules, or controllers, the USB stick is how we actually implement that update. So I always have a few of those on hand. And then also, if you are troubleshooting out in the field, tech support will, our tech support will often ask for service files. And a USB stick is how you usually um, would download those service files. And then you can email them to tech support. And then ideally, they'll be able to solve whatever issue you're having a little bit quicker because they'll have more information, right? And then the final tool or category of tools, I'll call it, is any sensor-specific tools. Now, these will come in the boxes with, if they're sensor-specific tools, they'll come in the box with the sensor analyzer. For example, I've got a syringe cleaning tube with a special fitting on the end. That comes with every 3017M, and that's our DPD chlorine analyzer, and that's this is how you actually clean the measuring 
or flow cell out um, is with this little tool here. So having this for the initial commissioning and having it for um, having it for regular maintenance is important. You don't want to lose these or throw these out after the initial startup. Same thing with this. This is like a skeleton key that goes to our Eliza, um, allows you access inside of the cabinet so that maintenance can be done for startup or just routine maintenance. And then I also have um, a variant tool, which is our ion selective electrode tool, which allows us to go ahead and change out these individually replaceable um, ion selective electrodes. This will be extremely important for commissioning because you can't get these in the probe without this tool. Um, and you'll need to put them in for commissioning because they won't come um, installed. So um, keeping all those tools together after the startup and having them um, and not throwing them away when you're opening the boxes is super important because they are valuable and um, important tools. So that is the second part to um, prepping for a good startup is just making sure we've got all the necessary tools to be successful the day of a startup. And then finally, we have um, documentation aids. So that's one thing. Um, now with the manuals, they're going to come in the box in, in a printed form with the actual um, sensors or analyzers. But there are some other documentation aids that we put out as a service and marketing team that can help you on the day of startup. And to show you a little bit more about that, um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. So bear with me while I get this set up. And we'll go to my PowerPoint first. And I'll go ahead and show that. So these are the documentation aids I'm talking about. So on the very left, we've got uh, just your, you can't see my screen. Okay. Let's see if I can. How's that? All right. So on the very left, we've got just the system manual, which is probably the most important for starting up. It's going to cover a lot of just the system, um, the basics of the system and how to start up the system. There's a commissioning guide in every single manual from every manufacturer, and that um, that it will be a very important section for startup. Secondly, we have a site preparation document. We have these for a lot of our for a lot of our sensors and analyzers, and we're coming out with more because we're realizing how valuable they are to make sure that the site's actually been prepared and all considerations have been made before we actually start up an instrument for the first time. And then finally, a commissioning guide, which is a streamlined version or step-by-step -step guide um, that's pulled out of the manual with some more pictures and a little bit more detail on how to start up an instrument for the first time. And I'll also just show you really quickly what that kind of looks like. So if I go back here and pull up my Adobe. So we'll take a look at the site prep document. This is one for the chlorine analyzer that we have. And a site prep document basically is going to call out any environmental requirements, um, physical dimension considerations that you need to take into consideration when mounting a sensor or analyzer, as well as just basic utility requirements, drain and waste handling, reagents, what's needed for those, et cetera, et cetera. But at the very end, there's a checklist that you can run through or whoever is prepping the site can run through and just guarantee that everything is ready before startup for the instrument to actually be um, put into service. And then just a quick glance at the commissioning guide. You'll see this is one for our ELISA, um, which is our orthophosphate analyzer. Um, it's gonna tell you what's supposed to come in the box. So the scope of delivery, and then also, and then it'll go straight into just um, what what's needed for a startup additionally. And then also it'll go right into um, the step-by-steps on how to start the instrument up. And usually they're a lot smaller than the full manual. And they're, we try to make them as easy to read and easy to follow along with. So that's what those documents um, look like. And they can all be found on our website. Or if you ask your 
um, local sales representative, they should have copies available or they'll be able to find them um, for you. So that is the final piece. Let me stop my share here for a few minutes. That's the final piece to prepping before we even get on the site for a startup. If we can get that done, we can have a good startup and having a good startup, like I said, and making sure that everything is set up properly the first time is going to mitigate a lot of unforeseen or easily avoidable maintenance in the future. So now what happens when we're actually on site to start up? What are some of the things we want to look for? Well, I will actually go back to my PowerPoint presentation to show you a visual example of what I like to look at, um, if not first, close to first, um, whenever I step foot on a new site. So let me pull up my PowerPoint here. All right. And so if you can see this screen right now, we've got a couple of different mounting solutions here. And so on the very right, we have probably our most standard mounting solution, which is called an SMK mount. You'll see these anywhere. I think almost every manufacturer has a mounting solution like this, where it's either a steel um, or PVC pole that a sensor is attached to at the end, and then that is mounted onto a bracket on the handrail, and it just drops right down into the process. Um, now, this is a great, um, it's usually a cheaper and more economical um, mounting solution, and it's great in most cases. But where, where it's not so great is where you have more maintenance-heavy um, probes. For example, say we have a pH probe that needs to be calibrated every two weeks or every month even. Um, pulling that 15-foot PVC pole out with the sensor attached to the end of it and then trying to calibrate that sensor, putting, putting that sensor into tiny little beakers with buffer solution and trying to calibrate it is going to be a nightmare. Now, at least for our sensors, we've mitigated this. Um, if you did have this mounting solution, and you had another IQ sensor net set network, let's say set up in the lab, you could take that sensor off of this, the network out in the basin and bring it to the lab, calibrate it there on that IQ sensor net network and save the calibration onto the actual probe itself. And then when you hook it back into its normal system, that saved calibration will be there. Um, but still the, the point I'm trying to drive home is making sure that you have the right mounting solutions for the right sensors. So for, let's say for an FDO sensor, which is our dissolved oxygen sensor that comes factory calibrated and really, um, it's a really maintenance light probe. Really what you wanna do is um, clean it every so often, depending on your process, and then change the, uh, the actual DO cap out every two to five years. So for sensors, you might not be pulling as much or might just be cleaning. Um, the SMK mount in that mounting solution might be perfect for it. It's cheaper um, and you don't really have to do um, any calibrations or any major manipulations of that sensor. So that solution would work. But for some of the more maintenance heavy or, or probes that you'll be working on a little bit more frequently, something like a boom arm and swivel mount, which is on the left here. If you can see, there's a steel rod that shoots out into the basin, and then there's a chain that drops down that holds the sensor. This boom can actually unlock and you can pull that the end of that boom arm over to the railing and then pull that sensor out by the chain. And that makes, um, makes it a lot more easier when it comes to calibrating sensors on the actual basin. Um, so what I'm trying to drive home here is making sure you've got the right mounting solution for that works for you and your plant but also works with the sensor, that's gonna set you up for success because if it's a hassle every time you have to calibrate or clean a sensor, the chances that the maintenance gets done um, becomes minimal. We wanna make it as easy as possible for you guys, as quick and as painless as possible. And this is one, one key thing I like to look at when I'm going to the plant. Another thing I like to look at is, or make sure I'm aware of, is any sensor considerations. So. For something like RTSS or turbidity probe, it's an optical measurement. It's shooting out a light into the process. And then the particles in the process are going to reflect that light beam back into a receiver that's on the sensor face. And 
for these sensors in particular, they can't be mounted um, within 10 centimeters of a basin wall or the basin floor, or even if they're mounted in a pipe, they can't be mounted within 10 centimeters from the other side of that pipe. Why? Because that reflection of that light, if it reflects off the bottom of the tank or the sides or inside the pipe, it's going to skew the measurement. So just noticing little nuances with that. Um, each manufacturer is going to be a little different, and all this information should be in the commissioning guide in the manual, but that can save you a lot of headache and trouble um, and save you a lot of troubleshooting in the future. Um, I've seen, I've been out, and some of these probes have been mounted um, in, in areas where it's way too close to a physical structure that or a permanent structure inside the tank, and it's skewing the measurement, and they're not sure why when they verify the measurement, it's just not working or it's not accurate and it's something as simple as just making sure it was mounted properly in the first place. So that's another consideration. You want the right mounting solutions for the right sensors and for the right situation. Then you also wanna make sure the sensors are mounted according to the manufacturer guidelines. All right, and then, so the next thing that I like to look at when I'm setting up a system is, let me stop my share and we'll go to our auxiliary camera because we're gonna talk more about the actual system itself. Um, so bear with me here. And so we've got our IQ sensor net controller here, and there's a few things that we really want to uh, look at when we are setting up a system. First, we want to make sure power is getting to every single module. So if I turn this to the side here for our um, modules in particular, there is a little light on every module, and that lets you know that power is getting to that module, and therefore by proxy probably getting to your sensors as well um, via the sensor net cables. Um, we can get into that. Um, sometimes the sensor net cables may go out, but that's a different issue. Um, when you're starting up a system, you wanna go to every single module and make sure that you've got power to them. Um, a lot of times, because we have our stack mounting feature where we can stack multiple modules without power cords onto each other, um, which makes it a lot, cleaner for installations and a lot less wiring that needs to be run. We use these gold diodes that actually go um, in between the modules to transmit power. And I'll show you kind of where they'll go um, for, for the most part. These will go right here. Well, they'll go on the back of the module, but they'll connect right here to this diode. And then you can stack another module on top of this. A lot of times I've seen people not install these and they're wondering why they're not getting power to all the modules on their stack. Oops. Um, that's nine times out of 10, that's the reason why. And so um, just a little things like that you can miss. Um, so you just want to make sure, the big thing is you just want to make sure you're getting power to every single sensor, module, and controller in the system. And so that is one of the, the checks. Another thing I want to actually show you is inside these modules. Now, um, if you're familiar with our product line, our system can be set up in any style pattern that you want. It doesn't have to be a linear setup where we have one measuring location goes to the next that goes to the next. You can set it up in a star pattern where you have different branches, um, depending. It's very customizable and it works extremely well with um, with plants that have unique requirements when it comes to their measuring locations. We can even actually add wireless modules, which transmit data via radio frequencies um, to, to the system. But because of that, because you can lay the system out in any way, shape, or form that you please or need for your plant, we have these things called terminating switches. And they're really small. Um, that's probably not helping. Um, they're right here, they're just little switches and they're basically can be turned on and off. And basically what a terminating switch in our system does is it tells the controller and the modules where the two physical endpoints of the system are. And how do we determine the two physical endpoints, especially if we've got a complicated, if we've got a complicated um, setup, um, we will, I'll show you on the PowerPoint kind of um, how we can determine that. But basically what we're doing here is we're determining the two endpoints of the system. 
so that the system knows how far to carry power and communications. So a diagram will be easiest to kind of explain this. So if you look here, we have on the very left, we've got a power supply with a CR3 module stacked on top of it, which is a relay, which is a module that allows us to add extra relays to a system and extra sensor net connections for more sensors at a measuring location. Then we've got 20 meters of our one cable design, which carries power and communication throughout the system. Um, it's going to a junction box 20 meters away. That's another measuring location. And then another 40 meters away from that junction box is another junction box and an IC2 module stacked on top of it. And that is the third measuring location in the system. An IC2 module, if you're curious, is just a module that we have that can add any third-party sensor into our uh, into our network. So if you want to measure level or flow or anything that uh, or any parameter that IQ SensorNet doesn't offer, you can use the IC2 module to add that into our system. And so that's actually stacked on top of the junction box. And so because the CR3 here and the IC2 are the two farthest away from each other physically, because we've got the cables coming in to this module and the cable coming into this module. So by proxy, these are the farthest away. We're gonna turn those terminating switches on, letting the controller know that that's the physical farthest distance in this system on either end. And that will um, save you a lot of headache. Now you may be asking yourself right now, why does that matter? Um, and what will happen if I don't have the terminating switches set up properly? And I don't have the greatest answer for you other than that if you, we call them electrical gremlins. So um, if you don't have the terminating switches set up properly, you might not notice it the day of startup, but later on you could have communication dropouts, even some power dropouts randomly and intermittently. And a lot of times it's because the terminating switches aren't set up properly and the system doesn't actually know where the endpoints of itself is. So you can mitigate a lot of problems and a lot of troubleshooting by getting those terminating switches correct the first time. Um, the only other things that I want to talk about when it comes to a system basis is, let me switch back to the other camera here, is on the actual controller. So if we go over here, we can talk a little bit more about um, the date and time. And we'll see if this thing will start up for me. Um, and if it doesn't, I've been having problems with this controller today during preparations. So if it doesn't start back up, um, that's okay. We can just talk about it in general. Um, but setting the date and time on the controller and in the system is super important um, when it comes to, especially installations where an ELISA is installed. Um, the date and time is used. Here we go. So the date and time is actually used to calculate some of um, the reagent diagnostics on the ELISA, and it's used for other calculations for various different sensors in our system. So making sure we've got the date and time up here correct when we set it up is important. And the way you set that is you just go to the settings button, and then you'll go down to system settings, and there's date and time. And that's where you'll set it. And then if you change it, you'll save it and go back out. All controllers brand new are set to January 1st, 2016. Um, and so the time will need to be set during the commissioning. And then the only other thing is um, being mindful of multiple controllers in a system. So each IQ sensor net system can only have one main controller in it. Although we offer a backup or redundant controller function, um, there can only be one controller at a time. What I mean by that is if I take this off again, this is our MC3 module. We call it a blind module. Um, whenever this is in the system, um, it is uh, it will always be the controller. And then this display will actually just be set up as a display. And so when you start up a system for the first time, it's going to ask you if you want to set something up as a controller, uh, a controller or a terminal. And a terminal just means a display. And so setting this up as a display and then having the MC3 be the main controller is what you're going to want to do. If you don't have an MC3 in your system, what you can do 
or or you have two 2020s, you'll set up one of these controllers as a 2020, or sorry, as a controller, and you'll set one up as just a display. If the main controller goes down for whatever reason, the second display will automatically kick on as a backup controller. And to change that configuration, all you're going to want to do is hit that S button again, and you'll go to service this time, and you'll go down to factory reset, and that's how we're going to um, reset what this actual display is. So since we have the MC3 on, we're not going to set it as a controller. We're actually just going to set it as a terminal, which means display. So those are some of the uh, things I'm looking for whenever I am out starting up a system for the first time. Like I said, this is all about, this is all about, sorry, wrong camera there. This is all about getting, getting it right the first time to mitigate unforeseen maintenance in a system. That way we can only focus, or we only really have to focus on the routine maintenance practices. So it's all kind of flowing. First, we want to we want to prep ourselves to do a good startup. Then we want to do the great startup and make sure every all of our ducks are in a row um, during commissioning. And then after that, we're going to start to develop our maintenance protocol. The only last thing I'll mention on a startup is you just want to make sure you have any tools that may be needed for or measurement methods or handheld units that may be needed for verifying or calibrating instruments during startup. Some instruments come factory calibrated like our DO probes and our TSS probes usually come pretty good out of the box, factory calibrated, but other probes like our pH um, or ISEs need to be, they either need a matrix adjustment or a calibration before um, they can be deployed and be giving you accurate data. So just having all those tools like buffer solutions and the access to either your lab or a third-party lab to run verification samples um, is super important as well. But we just don't have enough time to get into the nitty-gritty details of that today. So now, um, if we go back to the beginning, we've prepped for the startup. We've done the startup. We know that everything is correct. We've got the right mounting solutions. We've got the right, the terminating switches set up right. Um, everything is running properly. We've got all of our communication outputs sent to SCADA and we're starting to set up our control systems and we've got everything calibrated and verified and everything looks good, right? So to keep everything running smoothly and looking good, we're gonna wanna develop a proactive maintenance plan. Instead of waiting until something breaks or a measurement is so far skewed from your verification that you, you have to do something to it, we'll be proactive and we'll set up a maintenance protocol or standard operating procedures right after commissioning. Um, and we'll just continue. We'll spend the small amount of time on a weekly or monthly basis to be proactive rather than reactive and risk downtime and bad data. So what, how do we set up a, a great, um, standard operating procedure or a proactive maintenance plan for a whole network of sensors. There's really three things that you want to keep in mind. And the first thing is that every process is different. So the process in a rural community is different than a process in a town where there's a bunch of industry going into their wastewater. And that's different from an inner city populace um, with skyscrapers and buildings and other types of waste. And so um, that is going to determine the cleaning frequency of a lot of these probes. Not only that, um, where you deploy, and let me share my screen to give you a good example of this, where you deploy your sensors is going to determine um, how often you're gonna need to clean them. And I'll show you an example of a plant I was at recently. Um, let's see if we can get this to go here. All right, we'll come back to that slide in just one second. This is a plant that has three different ELISA units, which is our orthophosphate analyzer. And these are the filters that actually go up and bring the process water into the analyzer. Um, the one on the far left is on the effluent. So it's fairly clean. Um, for reference, this, uh, this filter is close to white when it's brand new. Um, the one in the middle is not quite at the effluent, but it's towards the latter end of the process. And you can see that's a little bit 
more dirty and fouled up with algae. And then the other one is one there that is deployed where they're dosing alum for coagulation. And that one was by far the dirtiest. So we have the same instrument. It's just in three different parts of the plant. The cleaning frequency on these filters are going to be totally different because of that. And the only way you're going to know the cleaning um, frequency is by putting on your scientist cap and checking right after installation. And what we recommend with all of our sensors and probes is after you commission it and put it in the process for the first time, go ahead and pull that after the first day, take a look at it, see if it looks okay, if the measurement checks out and is still holding well or within the range that you think it should be in. And the actual probe physically looks fine as far as dirt and filth on it, then you can drop it back in and then maybe check in a week and then pull it. And if it's dirty, all right, now you know, you need to clean this probe every week. Or if it's not and your measurements are still good, maybe pull it in two weeks and then pull it after a month or a couple of weeks. And that's how you'll determine when these um, when these sensors and probes need to be cleaned. We talk about this in all three of our prior webinars. Um, it's like I said, it's just different for every process, but that is one of the key foundations of setting up a proactive maintenance plan is knowing when you need to actually service and clean your sensors. And that's really gonna be dependent on what your process looks like and where they're deployed in the process. Another thing is every manufacturer everywhere that puts out or that manufactures sensors um, is going to have a maintenance section in their manual. If they don't, then they aren't doing something right. Um, and this maintenance section usually has a table that looks a lot like this, um, where it's gonna recommend different um, service intervals for replacement parts and cleanings and just different services. And so paired with the, the scientific work or, or the, the trial and error work that you did as far as actually cleaning the physical probes or filters and pairing it um, the recommendations from the manufacturers as far as replacing consumables is going to build a great foundation for that maintenance protocol, that proactive maintenance protocol that we're talking about. The only other consideration that I would consider is major is um, getting all the stakeholders involved. So a lot of times at plants, they're, they're, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes at plants, there could be divisions between the lab and the operations department. Um, but in reality, you guys are all doing the same thing. You're trying to clean wastewater or supply quality drinking water to your communities. And so um, depending on how the, the plant's set up, um, multiple people might be touching this instrumentation or multiple people might have to do lab measurements or verifications, whether it's the operations or the lab team or even maintenance technicians, um, getting everybody in a room, getting them trained um, all together and getting everybody to sign off on these maintenance programs to say, hey, we're all going to work together to um, make sure that this instrumentation is providing us the best value by giving us accurate and reliable data so that we can control our process and make it more efficient and also avoid EPA violations. Um, if you can get everyone from all the different departments in a plant um, to be on board with that, that goes a long way as far as developing a proactive maintenance protocol. So those are the three main things um, when you're setting up a maintenance protocol is one, um, learn about your process, know when it's time to clean each individual sensor, write that down, catalog that. Two, take a look at the manufacturer recommendations for consumables and replacement parts, write that down and log it for every sensor. And three, get everyone trained who's gonna be um, working with these sensors and with this network and get them to all sign off on this protocol. And so after we do that, we've got a sound developed maintenance program for every single sensor in the system. We can talk about tracking maintenance. So in the old days of tracking maintenance, um, you can look to the top left-hand side of this presentation slide. Um, you would see maybe a clipboard right next to the measurement location or in the lab somewhere. Um, which has all these different activities when you're supposed to do them and you've got to check them off, right? Who's doing the servicing and write um, initial that you've done the servicing, when you've done it, what time it was. 
And that's great. Um, and that's worked for years and years and years and still continues to work for plenty of plants. And if that's how you do it and you guys are organized and you stay on top of it and you remember to do it, um, then that's awesome. That's a, that's a best case scenario. Um, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't remind you. So a lot of times um, these physical copies can get lost. They can just not be utilized. If they're out of sight, they're out of mind kind of thing. Um, so then a lot of people switch to a more digital format, which is like an Excel sheet, which is basically the same chart, but just on a um, on an Excel sheet. And what that adds for you is you don't have to worry about the physical actual pieces of paper and maintenance logs getting lost or damaged in any way, shape or form. So that's good that you can have a digital copy that everyone can um, log into on a shared network and go ahead and fill out whenever service is done. But then you still have that thing where if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. If something's not broken, I'm not going to touch it until it's broken. And that attitude can quickly filter throughout the whole plant. And that can be the plant mindset, um, which is what we don't want because we want you guys to get the best value out of this instrumentation that you possibly can. Um, so a lot of manufacturers have realized it's a little bit cumbersome to take care of these sensors and probes on top of all of the other things that you guys are doing, whether it's just running the day-to-day -day operations and process the plant, dealing with lab, um, lab samples that need to get done and out the door for EPA standards or any regulatory agencies. We understand that you're super busy. So what we've developed, and a lot of manufacturers are doing this, are some digital solutions to help um, bring maintenance to the forefront and um, make it a little less cumbersome and more streamlined um, for the people actually doing the maintenance of the sensors. So on the right here, you can see a screenshot of a, an iPhone, and this is a new um, so the new app we're developing and hoping to come out with by the end of the year called IQS in Mobile. Um, we have some content on our website about it. If you're more if you're interested in it later, um, you can surf around our website and check it out. Um, but basically, what this does, amongst many things, like give you um, live readings, allow you to download data remotely, is it helps you track and set up, or it helps you set up maintenance protocols, track them and remind you when it's time to do maintenance on any given sensor. So as you can see in this screenshot, we've got the view customized reminders screen, right? And so what that is, is it's showing all the different customized reminders set up by our beta site, um, where they're, you know, they need to verify their DO measurement, they need to change the ELISA reagents, um, all the way down to cleaning the bi-solid sensor. And then you can turn those customized reminders on and off with the slide tab on the right. Um, what these customized reminders do is they'll send out push notifications and you can set them up any way, shape or form you want. Um, if you want to see them in an email format, then you can send them to your email. Um, you can send them to your, uh, or you can get text message notifications. Um, so it'll send out an SMS text message, which is really nice because a lot of times we're working and doing things in this digital age on our phones. So it's right there on your work phone. It pops up. Oh, I got to go clean the sensor. Um, let me go do that. And then also push notifications. If you don't want to receive text, um, you can set it up um, through like the Android and iPhone app. Um, so the notifications are completely customizable, which is really nice. Um, this is what a reminder looks like when you click on one. And then on top of that, um, once you click on a maintenance reminder, it'll prompt you to just log that new maintenance. So if it says clean your Visolid sensor um, at two o'clock today, and that's the reminder, you can go into the app and it'll immediately take you to, do you wanna log this new maintenance? And what you do is you can put the maintenance title, you can you can type in a clean the variant sensor or a clean the Visolid or TSS sensor following this video that I tagged it, that I put into the reminder bar. And then I put when, what day I did it and the time of date and who did it, which in this case, it's myself who did that maintenance. And then you just save it and it's saved in the maintenance log. All right, instead of um, PowerPointing you to death, I'm gonna try to do a live demonstration with the last 10 minutes on what this app looks like. 
Um, so bear with me just one second while I pull up this app and we'll switch the auxiliary camera. That'll probably be the best way to do it. And I'll just show you a little bit more about the app and as it relates to, to maintenance. We don't have time to go through the whole IQ SensorNet mobile app, but um, we can at least talk about how it relates to maintenance. So hopefully you can see that okay. I know there's a little bit of a glare. We've been trying to work on that all morning um, without any real solution. So I apologize for that. But so this is what the app looks like. This is just a beta site set up um, somewhere in the area. And so you can see you've got your live readings here. This beta site um, used to have five sensors set up on it, but now it's just got the pH running. And so if we want to drill down it, when, when we're talking about maintenance, you'd want to drill down into the sensor-specific maintenance. And there's a tab that says alerts and suggested maintenance. So you'd click on that. And then it's going to bring up a whole host of things where you can check out the sensor alerts. So if there's any out of range alerts, or if you've set up any customized threshold alarms and alerts, that's where you would see that. Um, you can log new maintenance. You can view the maintenance history. So let's take a look at that. Um, so for this sensor in particular, it looks like it's been cleaned a couple of times um, by some of our beta users. And then and the electrodes have been changed out a few times. And so it's going to have all this detail every time something has been done to the sensor. And it's all user input. But setting up reminders, you would go to the setup reminders. So this is where you'd actually set up a maintenance reminder. And let me see if I can adjust the camera a little bit higher here. That should hopefully work. All right. So you can put in the title here. You can also put in the description. And one pro tip that I like to do is we have a lot of maintenance videos on our website or YouTube. You can actually put the link of that maintenance video on there as kind of something to click when that remain when that um when that reminder pops up and then you can just follow along the video which is a nice um a nice addition let me try to get this to focus a little better there we go and then so you can put in the start date so when do you want to start this new maintenance um and then what time would you ideally have it done by um maybe it's every every morning um and then you select the interval so it could be 8 a.m. every other week, um, bi-weekly. And down here, there's a just a scroll. There's tons of different options, yearly, quarterly, monthly, bi-weekly, daily, single occurrence. Um, and then one feature that I really like um, for plant managers, if they want to set up the maintenance protocols for all these sensors, you can share this reminder with um operators or maintenance technicians or lab technicians within your plant. So I can actually go in here and say, I'm going to share this with my colleague, Ben Barker, and I'm going to share it with myself. Um, whoops. And so when that re reminder pops up, it's not only going to pop up on my app, it's going to pop up on my app and whoever else's um, app I've selected it to pop up for which is nice because then I get notified when the maintenance is supposed to be done. And then the person doing the maintenance also gets notified when they're supposed to do the maintenance. So that way from a managerial level, you can set up your proactive maintenance plan and then you can tailor it um, to have different guys do different things depending on different shifts or depending on um, who's more qualified to do what maintenance. So that's a nice feature. And then we also, um, can view existing customized reminders. So if we don't actually need, so like for this example, we have calibrate the scintillate twice. We really don't need that. Someone must've came in here and accidentally set that up twice. Um, what we can do is we can just turn that off. Um, and then it won't, rem and then now we only have one calibration reminder, which is nice. Or if we wanna reactivate it, we just reactivate it. And then we can also, if we just wanna completely delete it out of the system, there is an option to delete it and you just click yes. And so the whole idea of these digital solutions is to allow you guys to track maintenance, um, to track maintenance, set up proactive maintenance programs with a lot of ease. We try to make them short, simple surveys styles to fill out when you're actually doing the maintenance. 
That way, when you've got a sensor that's got something going wrong, or you're just curious to see if the sensor has been being taken care of, you can go right to the maintenance history and pull that up and it's saved in a digital format. It's also saved on everybody's um, account. So this account would be shared between as many users as you want, um, which is nice. So there's a little bit of redundancy there. And then if you want to um, export this data and send it to tech support, or you need it for um, some sort of regulatory agency, you can actually say, hey, I want to share sensor data. And you can do this from a system level too. And you can come here and you can share the maintenance history. You can also share configuration files, sensor all files. And then you select the date range and then you come to the bottom and then you'll send, you'll click send mail. It's gonna tell you, it's gonna give you a notification that's getting whited out. It says the export data has is in process. It might take a few minutes. And then where that data is gonna end up is on your email. Um, you know, it usually takes five to 10 minutes from our testing. So that is a really nice feature as well. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of manufacturers are coming up with these digital solutions. I see a lot of value for them as we digitize water and we start using sensors more often. Um, having this sort of product to tie multiple plants and multiple networks together um, and develop proactive maintenance protocols um, is super is super important and will become only more important as we move uh, move along with kind of the digital or technical revolution, however you wanna say it. Um, so that, other than that, there's only a couple other points. I'm sorry, we don't have time for questions today. And they, I think the main camera is shut off um, or at least it's shut off in my system. Um, there's a couple of things that I do. Oh, I found it, here we go. All right, that should be good. Okay, so there's really only a few more things that I want to note out and we have just enough time to do that. And like I said at the beginning, I will answer every single question that's been asked today um, via email after this webinar. Um, so just be checking out in your inbox um, from an email from me. Um, I'll put whatever your question was is and then my answer um, to that question in the email. And then if we need to do a follow-up meeting, we can definitely do that. Um, but we'll discuss that um, via email first. Um, so we talked about how do we mitigate unforeseen maintenance on a system-wide level, which is a good quality startup. And then we talked about developing a maintenance protocol. And then we do, talked about the history of tracking maintenance at wastewater and drinking water plants and some of the future tools and digital products that are coming out to make that even easier than it's ever been before. And now really the only things um, when it comes to um, best practices for maintenance is preparing for the unforeseen. Because like I said, in the middle of this webinar, um, like cars, like houses, like anything in life, just unforeseen things will pop up from time to time. And being as well prepared for that, if you're prepared for the worst case scenario, you're pretty much prepared for everything, um, everything beyond that. So what do I mean by that? That means staying up with manufacturer training. So like attending webinars like this for CEUs and different trainings is important. Um, staying up on the current literature, we put out blogs, we put out um, new site prep docs and updates and, and guides and all these different um, digital and physical um, tools and assets to help you make your guys' daily lives better. And then also just keeping on hand spare parts. Now you can't keep on hand all spare parts, um, specifically consumable spare parts like ISEs or electrodes for um, pH and ORP, but um, you can keep spare parts that don't have an expiration date on hand. And that's gonna allow you to solve any problems that may, any unforeseen problems that may arise. And I think with that, we are running really close to time. Um, and that's really all I had to talk about. So I appreciate you. If you've come to every single one of these um, best practices webinars, hopefully you found some valuable stuff along the four. Um, and then, like I said, if you have any questions um, after the fact, feel free to reach out to me via email. I think Shannon will probably put up my contact information. And with, uh, with that being said, I think I'm done. So have a great rest of your afternoon.
and a great rest of your week. And hopefully you have something fun planned for the weekend. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, like Justin said, he'll follow up on any questions that were asked today. And if you have any additional questions, feel free to contact um, Justin. I hope that you found this webinar to be helpful and that you learned something new. And uh, keep an eye on your inbox over the next few days for a link to the recording and more information on how to get CEUs for today's session. Um, and please take a few seconds to complete our post-webinar survey. It'll pop up or once the webinar ends. Your feedback is valuable to us and helps us determine future webinar topics. Thanks again for attending and have a great day.